0: This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Earlier today, Minister Baines introduced the new Consumer Privacy Protection Act to give Canadians more control and greater transparency over how companies handle their personal information. This includes allowing people to move their information from one organization to another and the right to have their information Deleted. For companies that don't follow the rules, the CPPA gives the Privacy Commissioner order-making power and the highest fines amongst G7 privacy laws. It's taken many years, but Canada is finally ready to engage in an overhaul of its outdated private sector privacy law. Earlier this month, the Innovation Science and Industry Minister, Navdeep Baines, introduced Bill C 11, which, if enacted, would fundamentally rewrite Canada's privacy rules. The bill would both establish the Consumer Privacy Protection Act and repeal the privacy provisions in the decades old Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act. That law, with an unwieldy acronym, limited enforcement powers, and the absence of modernized provisions, would be replaced with a law featuring a new privacy tribunal, tough penalties for non-compliance, and new provisions on issues such as data portability and de-identification. To discuss the thinking behind the bill and the government's plans for privacy in Canada, I'm joined this week on the podcast by Minister Baines, who highlights some of the benefits of the bill, clarifies the reasoning behind some of the more controversial policy decisions, and provides a roadmap for what comes next. Minister Baines, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me
0: on. There's so many issues we could be talking about, but it's good in this instance to be able to finally have the chance to talk about a privacy reform bill. Uh, there's a lot of issues to discuss, but I thought we'd st- I'd start with a question that I, I know I've gotten pretty regularly from some journalists who have covered the bill. And that's in a sense for the typical Canadian. How do you think the law is going to impact them?
1: Well, that's an important question because this is uh, an important issue. And I think it's important to note that how do we get to this point? How did we introduce legislation in the House of Commons around the Consumer Privacy Protection Act? We started consultations in 2018 and did the several roundtables as well that you're familiar with. And then in 2019, we launched the digital charter, a set of principles that would guide future legislation, would guide uh, future policies and programs. And that's why we were very excited to uh, update the digital charter uh, principles through legislative changes. And, and our original goal was to introduce the legislation earlier this year in March, but due to the pandemic, we had to adjust our timing. Um, but I think the, the question you asked um, is an important one because all this is to say is that this Consumer Privacy Protection Act is going to provide Canadians with uh, privacy and data protection they need for the new digital reality. And we've seen through this pandemic, more Canadians are working online, learning online, accessing information online. And so it's important that, uh, you know, this legislation address some of those concerns as people navigate in this digital reality. And so that's about increasing control and transparency when Canadians' personal information is handled by companies, uh, to give Canadians the right to, to move their information from one organization to another, in a secure manner, Uh, so data portability is something I know that we'll talk about today, and give Canadians the right to withdraw consent regarding the handling of their personal information and to demand that their information be destroyed and deleted. I think that's a very powerful tool for Canadians. Uh, And the act that we introduced would also require the use of plain language when companies obtain consent to collect personal information. So concretely, this means that the 30 page pages of legal text with a single confirmation will be a thing of the past. And, and I know that uh, you're familiar with the federal COVID alert app. And I think that's a great example of this approach, providing users with clear consent for what information it is collecting uh, and using, as well as what information it's not. Uh, so in simple and easy to understand language. Uh, And finally, I think Canadians need to know that this new act includes meaningful compliance measures. The act would provide the privacy commissioner with order-making powers, as well as the ability to recommend significant fines and penalties for companies that do not follow the rules. So bottom line, it's more control for Canadians, greater accountability, which will lead them to have more trust as they navigate online.
0: Okay, thanks. So we'll get into a few of those issues uh, in just a bit, as you mentioned. Let me just quickly, though, ask you this, in a sense, the same question from a business perspective. We've already seen in the House there have been some opposition MPs that have talked about the cost especially to small business we we almost invariably hear that when it comes to privacy reform uh, how do you respond to what is likely to be uh, some concerns at least from some in the business community uh, about the what they would they might view as a, as a regulatory burden when you when you start bringing in all of these changes
1: well that's a fair question and i deal uh, fairly often with business leaders and members from the business community and what i heard clearly from them is that they needed a clear framework, a rule that allow for innovation while protecting Canadians' privacy. And I think the Act will help small businesses in particular prosper by ensuring the rules around data and privacy are fair, clear, and enforced, and flexible enough to to meet the needs of smaller organizations. And I think it's important to note that the Act also maintains a principles-based approach rather than being too prescriptive. Uh, to provide the flexibility for businesses of all sizes to comply in a way that makes sense for the context of their industry and the scale of their their operations. Uh, And so this will include allowing industry associations, for example, to work on codes of conduct uh, to help their members navigate the new rules. Uh, And the Act also allows the Privacy Commissioner to provide advice and guidance to organizations on their privacy Program. So I think these are positive developments uh, for businesses in Canada.
0: Okay. Now, as we know, there's been a lot of privacy reform around the world. We're, we're in a, I think, playing catch up from a Canadian perspective. To what extent did legislation, rules from Europe, the GDPR, the California legislation, even the Quebec bri- privacy bill that, that has recently been tabled, what kind of influence did did all of that have on the Canadian Bill, that you've just introduced? Uh,
1: Well, we learned a lot from the experience of the European Union's GDPR, so their their General Data Protection Regulation. Uh, And we've also uh, closely followed the development of the laws in other jurisdictions, both internationally and provincially as well, and this includes the California Consumer Privacy Act as well. And and while we're making sure that the new law aligns with other leading jurisdictions, uh, and not, and it's not simply about copying them. The Consumer Privacy Protection Act offers a balanced approach that is right for for Canada, and that means, for example, keeping the law on a flexible principle-based footing rather than the prescriptive technical requirements that I, I mentioned before. And the Act includes an enforcement regime similar to the of the EU as well. So that's one area where we uh, gain inspiration from the EU. So companies who do not comply could be subject to orders uh, of the privacy commissioner or face significant administrative monetary penalties imposed by the new personal information and data protection tribunal. And we also learned uh, from the GDPR experience of how to have significant fines. So from our perspective, the fines can go up to 5% of global revenues or $25 million under the CPPA whichever is greater, for the most serious offences. And so similarly, the European GDPR has penalties of up to 4% of global revenue. Uh, and so that's one another area where we did, uh, you know, were influenced by that regime. And I think with regards to the Canadian experience, if you look at British Columbia, Alberta, and Quebec, we'll continue to be in close contact with our provincial counterparts now that the legislation has been introduced to make sure we have alignment across the country.
0: Okay. You've mentioned enforcement a couple of times, and I agree with you. Certainly one of my first takeaways was that the bill contains long overdue enforcement measures that really put a lot more teeth into the legislation. But one of the biggest changes that's associated with this legislation is the creation of a privacy tribunal that plays a number of roles, including almost a sort of appellate process for Privacy Commissioner findings. Can you you explain what's the thinking behind that? Why the tribunal approach? Do you have concerns about the potential length that that kind of process would take? And particularly also about the composition of the tribunal. It's viewed, I suppose, as an expert tribunal. And yet only one person on that tribunal based on the bill is required to have information or privacy law experience.
1: Yeah, no, those are great questions. And I think it's important to note that in the data economy, privacy issues are now at play in nearly every commercial transaction by businesses, both large and small. So this fact, coupled with the new tough sanctions featured in the act, including the largest penalties, as I mentioned, in privacy laws amongst the G7, heightened the importance of due process in the oversight uh, regulation and investigations process of potential violations. So... I believe by separating the imposition of administrative monetary penalties from the privacy commissioner's other functions, uh, the Act supports fairness and transparency in the process for assessing and imposing penalties while recognizing the potential for uh, AMPS to significantly impact a business's bottom line. And I think regarding uh, expertise, uh, the, the Personal Information and Data Protection Tribunal Act uh, provides uh, provides that at least one member, as you mentioned, of the tribunal needs to have experience in information and privacy. So we're, we're confident that that expertise will be there and we will ensure that the tribunal members have the necessary knowledge and experience to carry out their roles. Uh, and this will, of course, be part of the normal appointments process. Um, and also regarding the length uh, of the process, the tribunal should allow for more rapid and efficient Uh, uh, decisions than the existing process of going through the federal court. We also believe that the system will be better suited for uh, small and medium-sized businesses, less costly. And we want the Office of the Privacy Commissioner to focus more on providing guidance and incentivize compliance with SMEs as much as possible. So I think that's the big takeaway. We want the Privacy Commissioner to focus on the compliance aspect of it, and let the tribunal focus on more of the adjudication.
0: Okay. It's an interesting structure. It remains to be seen how the Privacy Commissioner reacts. I know that they've expressed some questions about this approach, but uh, obviously the hearings will be a good chance to kind of sort through what some of the implications are. You've also mentioned door to data portability as is, is a big change. Uh, and as I know I appeared before a Senate committee talking about open banking, and that was a big issue there. How do you foresee the data portability functioning and what are some of the benefits you think that might come from it?
1: Yeah, the the principle uh, in the act focuses on data uh, mobility and portability, Uh, and this highlights Canadians' right to direct uh, the transfer of personal information from one organization to another rather than the right to receive it in a particular format. So this is about really giving control to Canadians. And so this means that Canadians could direct a business to transfer their personal information directly to another similar business to allow greater consumer choice and discourage that lock-in provision that exists right now. Uh, And and I think this is great for competition. Uh, This will allow for greater competition, benefit consumers, and really foster innovation. Uh, For example, as you mentioned from your own experiences in the Senate, Canadians could direct their banks to share their personal information with another financial institution. Uh, And further, uh, once separate, uh, open banking regulations are in place, Canadians would be able to direct their banks to, to transfer their data to financial technology companies. And this, again, would help innovate data-driven services for Canadians to grow and thrive in this sector. And so we're really excited about the potential around uh, data mobility and data portability.
0: Okay, so I mean, that speaks to how data can really be used by consumers. There's, of course, another issue, the use of data by by businesses, and of course, a lot of businesses looking to innovate around data and de-identification Uh, is, I think, an important part of the legislation. It's already proven a bit controversial for some in the privacy community. Can you describe the balance that you're trying to strike with respect to the de-identification provisions? And and how would you respond to to those that that are fearful that this really undermines a lot of the kinds of protections that you've been talking about?
1: Yeah, the, the practice of removing direct identifiers from personal information is becoming increasingly common. Uh, But the rules that govern how this information is used have not been that clear. So the legislation defines de-identified information and clarifies uh, that it's still personal information that is subject to the Act. But it also increases the protections which are applicable to de-identified information. Uh, And de-identifying personal information does not provide an organization carte blanche uh, to do whatever it wants with that data. It can only be used without an individual's consent under very specific circumstances, uh, such as for an organization's internal research and development purposes, for example. Um, And we also expect that de-identified information will play an important part in data trust. And I'm really excited about that because, again, under very specific circumstances, there's a lot of potential here. Uh, The CPPA Uh, contains a new exception to consent that supports the use of information by public institutions undertaking what we say socially beneficial activities. Uh, So, so for instance, imagine a public health agency that wants to improve its modeling of the evolution of a pandemic to plan how to allocate testing or therapeutic resources to manage the crisis. So, again, we believe that de-identified data can be used in this instance. Or, for example, uh, several companies could disclose aggregate mobility data that the agency uses for insights into overall population movements to better understand where people are congregating. So these are the areas where, again, this is designed for undertaking for socially beneficial activities.
0: Okay. We've we've talked about, I'm glad you raised the socially beneficial activities. We've talked about data portability. A number of these involve some amount of regulation-making process. And, you know, I think of some of my own past experience dealing with prior reforms on everything from anti-spam legislation, security breach rules. And when some of the granular issues were left to the regulations, we found that this this really resulted in very lengthy delays, almost a second opportunity for those opposed or concerned with the legislation almost to relitigate. You know, should we be concerned with this? You know, why, why are so many of these issues placed into the regulations was there not an opportunity to get a bit more specific within the legislation itself and allow it to take effect once the legislation itself takes effect
1: look uh we are involved in ongoing engagement with stakeholders on policy proposals across a number of these areas specifically on data mobility as we mentioned And, and we recognize the need to ensure proper safeguards and technical measures are in place prior to moving forward with this approach but leaving these details to regulations actually allows for consultations on technical issues. So returning to data mobility, for example, simply enabling a right of data mobility without the technical means to exercise the right would be rather hollow and could simply result in frustration and confusion. So I hope to begin consultations on the regulations once the bill is passed with the hope of aligning the coming into force period, roughly around 12 to 18 months with the completion of the regulations that would support these specific provisions that you highlighted.
0: Okay. okay, that's helpful to to have a bit of a time frame there in terms of the regulatory side. Now, when people talk about privacy laws, invariably, they're going to focus a bit on what's not there. Um, and I want to give you a chance to comment really on two. One, there's there's a notion, this is of course a commercial privacy bill. There isn't there aren't references to privacy as a human right, uh, and then there isn't an extension of this into one area that has proven to be important, and that's to political parties. Can you talk a bit about why that is? Why why does that fall outside the framework, and, and why why isn't the legislation more imbued with some of the kind of human rights considerations?
1: So we have taken a fundamental rights approach. Um, but we we are clear that we take the protection of Canadians' personal information very seriously, and we are working to build uh, a foundation of trust in in a digital and data-driven economy. Um, and as we discussed today, uh, the Consumer Privacy Protection per- Consumer Privacy Protection Act gives Canadians more control and greater transparency over how companies handle their personal information, and the Act provides a clear framework of rules that allows. Canadian businesses to innovate while protecting Canadians privacy. And in concerning political parties and other frameworks, I think such as the Canada Elections Act applied to their activity. So for example, we took steps with the Elections Modernization Act that for the first time will cover the ways political parties gather, share and protect personal information, and political parties are now required to have publicly available, easily understandable policy for the protection of personal information. Uh, and they must uh, submit their privacy policies to Elections Canada. And and the purpose and the objective of the Consumer Privacy Protection Act is to focus on commercial activities, and that's what uh, we've achieved so far uh, when we proceeded to uh, move ahead with this uh, bill.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. Just a quick follow on that, though. To what extent do you feel it's fair to say that you're going to obligate companies to meet all sorts of obligations and take, in many respects, a far... Weaker stance with respect to political parties, you know, expectation isn't that political parties will meet anywhere close to the kind of obligations that the private sector is being asked to meet coming out of this legislation. Yeah, I know the
1: way I've I've addressed it is that I'm focusing on commercial activities. But to your point, under non-commercial activities as well, there are consultations that have been started under the Privacy Act that would look into that. So I don't want to prejudge the outcome of that work, but that's another avenue where these issues can be examined more thoughtfully and to address some of the concerns that you've raised.
0: Okay, so that's, that's part of what comes next. Let me, let me conclude with this. Um, what You've talked about your hopes in terms of the time frame for the regulations, but more specifically for this legislation. What do you see coming next? Do you have a sense of which committee committees this is likely to go to? What's your target for trying to turn Bill C-11 uh, into law?
1: So you're right, we are now working through the, the parliamentary process. Uh, we held the beginning of the second reading of the bill on Tuesday, uh, and I gave a, a 20 minute speech and had a Q and A session with members in the House of Commons. So, and I hope to see the legislation actually move to committee. I think it's gonna to move to ethics committee. Um, and we are confident that uh, we put forward strong measures to enhance Canadians' privacy and, and, ha- and hope that to have the support of members from all political parties as we move through the parliamentary process. I really believe that privacy and data protection is a nonpartisan issue. And, you uh, know, I mean, obviously, I won't predict uh, when the bill might be adopted, but should it be adopted, there will be a coming into force period, as I mentioned before, uh, of 12 to 18 months to give time for organizations to meet the new requirements and for regulations to be developed and for the tribunal to be established as well. So I think those are key uh, developments uh, for us to have a successful completion of not only the legislative process, but the implementation of the bill as well.
0: Okay. So we're looking at whatever, however long this process takes. And of course, in the current parliamentary situation, hopefully there's enough time to to get through that process with robust hearings. And it's interesting to note that it'll be the ethics committee that looks at it, not the Indu committee? Or that, that sounds like that's certainly a possibility. You know, it's taken a very long time even to get to this point. And it's clearly there's a bit of a road ahead. But it's good to finally, I think, be on that road and have a have a bill to discuss as opposed to continually be saying, when are we going to see legislation in this space?
1: Yeah, no, we're very excited about this legislation. Again, what it means for Canadians to give them more control, uh, to provide greater transparency and to build trust online. We think it's critical in this new data and digital-driven digital economy. And so looking forward to working with other political parties to advance this to protect Canadians.
0: Minister Baines, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me on, Michael.
0: That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to LawBites at P.O. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LawBitesPod, or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca, or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Labites Podcast is produced by Gerardo Lebron Leboy. Music by the Leboy Brothers, Gerardo and Jose Lebron Leboy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist.